Hello there and welcome to the Iron Cannon Podcast, your home on the Star Wars Underworld Podcast Network for in-depth discussion on the lore, the High Republic, especially the High Republic tonight, mm-hmm. and the whole canon of the galaxy far, far away. My name is Matthew and I am joined across the continent by your friend of mine, Mr. Joel Davis. Joel, how are you doing this week? I'm good. I got myself a last minute Christmas present. I got myself this fancy Andor t-shirt and this fancy Andor cup that was given to me by a good friend of mine from the downtown Disney Star Wars trading outpost. Right on, right on. It's, uh, it's a great show. It's, it, it, it seems like you like this show. Yes, I do. <laughs> yeah, right on, right on. Also, Happy New Year, everybody. I hope you had a, a fun and safe and enjoyable uh, New Year's Eve, New Year's Day, and all that jazz. Uh, I'm going to get this up here. There we go. I got this banner here, but I'm going to switch over in a second. Uh, but this week we are, again, going into High Republic Convergence by Zorada Cordova, talking about the characters and themes and ideas and uh, possible thing- hints about future content, including the Battle of Jeddah, which comes out in four hours on Audible, if, if you pre-ordered it. Um, we also have some more thoughts on canon. I was talking a bit about a show that is, I, I'm calling Star Wars Adjacent uh, first up, before we get to that, I got the plugs. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram and Twitch at Iron Cannon Pod, E Y E O N C A N O N P O D. Thanks to everyone following on the Star Wars Underworld Facebook and uh, Iron Cannon Twitch, Star Wars Underworld Twitter, Iron Cannon Twitter. Uh, appreciate all the love, all the views, all the in- engagement. Um, you know, a few ways to engage with us, uh, of course, in the comments here on YouTube and Facebook and wherever else you're watching. Uh, and, and, and of course, the comments will stay there even after we, we cease to go, cease going live. But also, uh, yeah, I mean, we get we get in Twitter and Facebook and the Discord server at the uh, uh the Star Wars Underworld Discord server. We've got a, a, a live link at the bottom in the description below that you can uh you can use to, to get into that server. Joel's there, I'm in there, a bunch of us are in there chatting away having fun uh, i think we're, we're gonna do another uh video game party in a few weeks taking a bit of a break on that but um definitely uh feel free to join us in there also we are on spotify and apple podcasts the audio versions if you if that is more your speed as i like to say at the end of the tractor beam when talking about digital comics or uh physical comics tractor beam my weekly comic books reviews uh this past week uh last week on friday Books come out on Wednesday. I review them by Friday. Um, Friday we had that Santa sleigh load of comics. We had five in total. That's the record for new Marvel Star Wars comic stories, um, and and they were all pretty doggone fantastic, including uh, of course Doctor Aphra number twenty seven, High Republic I believe number three by Kevin Scott, and High Republic the Blade number one by Charles Soule. Uh, definitely, please do check that out. I'm much appreciated. Uh, yeah, it was, it was it's a it's a great time for paper cannon in the galaxy far far away okay uh joel let's bring up uh this week in star wars you had some thoughts you had some musings take it away this really is my musings in star wars let's have a week um but yes in my <laughs> week of thoughts of musing star wars i've been thinking a lot about you know star wars and how it operates as a canon as a franchise as an ip and this sort of interesting thing that I think Star Wars has that I don't think Marvel has, DC doesn't have, well, DC's all over the place, <laughs> but um, we won't get into that. And that is, in kind of this weird sense, Star Wars is, but also is not this one story. It's not one linear story, for sure. Like, Marvel is a linear story. It is Iron Man to Endgame, with, like, the exception of two movies, 
all forward timeline. Um, Star Wars, you have the original trilogy. Then we went back to the prequels. Then we jumped to the sequels. Well, we had Clone Wars in between. And now we're kind of just all over the place. We got we got Mando Lorian in this era. We got Andor and Kenobi kind of in the dark times. We got High Republic 200 years in the past. We're going to have Acolyte, which is 100 years in the past. And it's like, I don't, they're, they're one story in the same way history is one story. Like, you know, Queen Victorian era leads into World War One, which leads into World War Two. But it's not like, you know, oh, you know, uh, Andor, Kenobi, and Dinger and are going to show up at the end of this epic movie and fight Th Thrawn or Thanos together, you know? It's not going to be that epic moment kind of a situation. And I've just always found that sort of fascinating about Star Wars in the discussion, especially in our speculation of like, is this going to connect? Is this going to connect in Star Wars is, but isn't one story? I mean, under Lucas, it was because everything George did was it's like different creators are telling different stories and they kind of build off each other. It's like Dave is building off him, his, his Clone Wars stuff. Um, if, if, you know, Tony Gilroy came back, I would assume he would build off his Andor and he is building off Rogue One. The higher public mm -hmm. team is building off themselves because they're doing the initiative. But it's not all one grand thing that's leading to an epic confrontation with Palpatine Thanos <laughs> 2.0 again. So, yeah, that was sort of just my thoughts on how Star Wars has operated, especially in this new era, as we are getting lots of on-screen book and comic content. So, exciting times ahead. Yeah, that's a great point, especially the way jumping between eras, the way Star Wars can and does all the time. Uh, it really affects our perception of continuity and our perception of things connecting or not, right? Um, one thing I will say is you do bring up that within uh, within the story, there are certain authors and creatives who like to. I mean, the example I think of, of, of is Charles Soule, who... Yeah. Great uh, example. You know, yeah, who who you know in the Lando comic brought introduced moment in his mask, picks that up in the Darth Vader comic. Um, you know, in that Darth Vader comic, he introduces the Barash Vow, picks that up in the blade, and how uh <laughs> we know this character Barash Selene. Uh you know, the backstory for the vow and and the tra probably tragic backstory for that. So mm -hmm. yeah, I mean it, it, it's interesting. There, there's these kind of corners of the sandbox um that they work with. Yeah, oh, I guess, yeah, you have that. <laughs> and I mean, everything with, yeah, Fortress Raider and the Knights of Ren, mm -hmm. um, including even in, in uh, the Crimson Rain, you know, how, yeah. how they end up going into the, the, the fortress itself. And um, yeah, I mean, and, and it's funny, I mean, that's kind of an option on the table for, uh, for creatives if they want. And then I'll just say, then you got your James Lucinos of the world who are like, look at everything and just like, I'm going to make a story that ties everything from soul stuff mm -hmm. to full do this and this and this. And then that's how you get Plagueis. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that's that's yeah. sort of my, my weekly thought of Star Wars and continuity. I mean, I guess the one thing I will say is there is at least what, uh, what Rise of Skywalker brought is this underlying thing of the palpatines versus the skywalkers is yeah. and you can maybe say okay they're they're just riffing it from marvel there it, you know and it but it, it had to i mean rise of skywalker i think had to make something big and culminating uh in that way but oh. you know that's the thing another thing about that is the story can then continue on after that oh, there's yeah. no necessarily an end point in the same way that with the infinity saga there's this definite thing then the story continues picks up yeah. on things that you know from the, the two captain stories, right? Captain Marvel mm -hmm. and Captain America happened mm -hmm. before. 
uh, Captain Marvel, especially picking up on things in in this new saga. But yeah, yeah. It's, it's just not. You're right. It's not the same. I guess the only, the only analogy, similarly, maybe might be. You know, you have the age of the Republic and the age of rebellion and the age of resistance and the, the, roughly around the three trilogies and the age of high Republic. And, um, right. But yeah, it's, maybe it, it, that wasn't planned out the way Kevin Feige planned it. No, I'll, I'll say this, though. I wouldn't be surprised if in many years time, a bunch of characters we meet will retroactively be said, oh, they were there at the People's Fleet. Din Djarin was there. He was there on Exegol or that. Retroactively, we'll say that oh. they did that with Kaz in the novelization. Yeah, that's so. true. Uh, oh, yeah. I mean, and did it brilliantly. I mean, it, it's funny you mentioned, why can't Ender show up in, uh, in Thrawn? Oh, right, because he's dead. Uh, and that's another thing. We've seen, <laughs> seen this character die. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I can't survive that. Um, my week, uh, kind of getting into, into Willow. I'm um, going to bring that up a little bit because it, it's Star Wars adjacent. Actually, I mean, it's a George Lucas story, so it's there. Um, but, you know, there are some interesting parallels there of, uh, especially I saw the film. I finally saw the film for the first time because I hadn't. It was, it was a fun, exciting film. Uh, getting into the series a little bit, it's a little hit or miss, I'm finding. But, um, you know, it, uh, of, a, of the Lucasfilm properties, of all the live action Lucasfilm properties, I am finding it the weakest because it's it's trading in a lot of tropes and, and it is kind of odd that you got something like andor which is so perfectly made and then willow which is which is good but not great um made by, in the same studio sorry good different creators doing different different things, creators yeah that's true but different creators but, but the same studio and the same oversight and everything so uh that happens i mean yeah if uh Indiana Jones also coming up. So, um, yeah, I mean, uh, it, it is feel. I mean, Willow does feel like. I mean, they even had the, uh, like the the hidden caves and the scavenging for for ancient relics. It, it feels like more, also Indiana Jones adjacent. But anyways, Star Wars adjacent in the, the you know this hero's journey, this rogue, uh, these rogues, and this smaller character departing, and um, you know, I'm talking about the the film. Uh, Will himself, Will Lovegood. Yeah, it's a similar story almost to Luke in that he, he has to depart and find his power. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, it, I mean, also taking from The Hobbit and, and Lord of the Rings. But it was, yeah, the film was definitely enjoyable. Uh, some things kind of dated, but uh, you can see where, you know, the, the connections again with the hero's journey in a, in, a, in a fantasy medium, in the historic fantasy medium. Um, I kind of imagine them breaking out some lightsabers and seeing, you know, I mean, there was that uh, April fool's thing years ago that pretended that will off good. Um, he, he ends up leaving that planet, uh, makes his way through the galaxy and then finds his way on Tatooine in time for the boot to Eve to see Anakin Skywalker win the boot to Eve race. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Cause of course, um, Rourke Davis is, is there in his face uh, on the boot to Eve, yeah. but that was a funny in joke. That's not Canon. That's not real. That's a that's just a joke. So uh, that was that was my weekend. Star Wars, kind of taking it easy, enjoying the new year, and all that. Nice. So I don't know if you have you been able to see Willow or I've never seen Willow, but it's, it's some I really should. But it's like it's one of those yeah. it's one of those weird things. Like I never it was like I love Star Wars and I love Indiana Jones. Yeah. Willow's sort of like the third one that I've never gotten into, um, which is weird because I love, do love fantasy. I mean, I granted I I kind of just like Lord of the Rings, but. Um, in terms of like fantasy, I mean, 
I mean, I like the genre in terms of like the the, the big fantasy stuff. Lord of the Rings has always been the one I like the most. Um, mm -hmm. But no, I've always, you know, Willow is an interesting one because I feel like it is, it's just Star Wars without the spaceships and without yeah. the technology. It's just pure, full, full on wizards and swords and sorcery. And mm -hmm. kind of even with that kind of cheesiness, you know, to it, like where I think, you know, Lord of the Rings, Narnia, they got a little bit more of the, the religious theology, bombast, mysticism. I, I've always heard Willow is kind of a bit more, kind of more just cheesy fun. Like it's, mm -hmm. it's got good, good story, but it's like not, you know, yeah. then the bank battle of satanic and gods, you know, <laughs> just, just work Davis doing his thing. Um, yeah, it's intentionally goofy. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and, you know, I, I've, I've heard mixed things about the series written by Larry Kasdan, John Kasdan's son, who did Solo. Mm -hmm. I mean, Solo's fine, but I think that's because Ron Howard was the director. Um, So, yeah. you know, that's showrunners. When, when it comes to showrunners, it's always more the, the, the writer who's more important than the, the director. Not that the directors mm -hmm. aren't important, but that's just kind of how the, the TV side of things work. Don't ask me why. I, I don't know. It's just how it always shakes up. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, uh, Will is definitely something I've got to really watch just one day because I think it's gonna—it's mm -hmm. cheesy, but it's, it's of its time. It's before you know the Peter Jackson Lord of the Rings movie kind of refresh yeah. things, and yeah, I, I, Will has always been an interesting one to me. So cool. Mm -hmm. Um, I will, one last thing I will say with the show, uh, yeah, it's you—it's building in these anachronisms in terms of dialogue and uh, kind of, you know, I mean it. Knowing what's happening a little bit in young adult novels, young adult novel space in terms of fantasy. I mean, I don't fully know. I haven't read much of anything. I've read a bit of E.K. Johnson's non-Star Wars work. I've read one of her books. Um, it kind of, it just trades in that kind of contemporary, I mean, queer fantasy, which is, which is nice, which is interesting. I am kind of confused as to where they're going with that, that main couple, um, uh, when please emphasis nest blanking oh. on her name again. I'm blanking on a real person's name now. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I I, I like. It. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll um, say and then, yeah. Term. Yeah. No, I'll just I'll just say it, it's weird because they. I mean, they have them kiss at the beginning, and then they build up romantic tension throughout the series, throughout the show, at least until where we're at. But they have them kiss at the beginning. Are they trying to just cover their bases and avoid the queer baiting charge? In case they don't end up together, I don't know. Um, that seems kind of strange to me. So, yeah, I oh. mean, it's good to show good to show a good queer story on screen like that. I mean, Star Wars hasn't had the the guts to do it yet. Um, so, you know, they're, they're good marks to Willow for that. But yeah, it's uh, yeah, interesting. Curious to see where they're going with that relationship. Um, in terms of this, uh, this could actually be more of a week, something I did this week in Star Wars. Um, mm. in terms of the YA thing, um, I, uh, it's interesting. Another, a good example of, of kind of seeing how this has affected Lucasfilm properties is the sequel trilogy. Um, mm. because I was talking to a friend of the show, Omar, um, uh, and we were talking about, um, how Hunger Games, I think, has, in this, I don't know if you ever got into Hunger Games. Yeah, um, I watched has, some films. Has, affected the sequel trilogy and i remember hearing somewhere that lucasfilm when making the sequels they really wanted to pull on that hunger game fandom which i mean i was out of the hunger game thing but it just exploded and i can kind of see kind of the, the tropes i mean you know mm -hmm. young female lead 
you know, Kylo Ren is kind of the bad boy, but you kind of feel for him. You know, all the characters are young and impressionable and like very sexy, uh, very good looking. Um, <laughs> lots of tension everywhere. Yeah. You know, who's gonna kiss? Who's gonna, who's gonna, you know, and I think, you know, there's a lot of that kind of those sort of elements pulled with the sequels in particular, in terms of mm -hmm. like, you know, Hunger Games was a big thing. We're gonna kind of take our cues a little bit from that, from that, uh, from that series and from those books, um, and I think maybe Willow is pulling again, not from just the young YA queer fantasy like a She-Ra, which I think did better because it was actually a queer person writing it, um, mm -hmm. but also just you know, kind of a Gen Z kind of uh, yeah, sure. young millennial kind of storytelling pulled into it which i you know i don't know you can done you can be done well and it can't be done well so you know just because you're pulling a trope you can do it great or you can't do it great i right. don't know i mean you know what played with tropes it's a little indie film that came out in 1977 called <laughs> a new hope <laughs> it played all over with tropes and look how well it did so uh we're still here today mm -hmm. 40 how many years later uh talking about star wars so speaking of star wars there was uh some a new book that came out a few months ago we finally finished it uh, we're going to dive into talking about High Republic Convergence by Zoraida Cordova. I have it right here. Here's, here we go. That's Gela or Jella. I don't know how the audiobooks pronounce it. I'm going to say Gela. I heard Gela. I remember Gela. The audiobooks say Gela, so I'm correct. Okay, good. Uh, <laughs> I would assume Gela is M-A-R-C-H. I would assume Gela for the J, but then again, Star Wars, so you never know. Yeah, so yeah, it's a, the GE. Anyway, uh, interestingly, uh, not really the most fleshed out character of, of, of them all, but anyway, I'll dive, we'll dive into that. Uh, I'll give, give opening thoughts and then, um, can go back and forth with this. I found it to be the most effective, most effective, I'll say, well constructed. It's hard to say my favorite in terms of emotional connection. I did enjoy it a, a lot, but just thinking about how. Uh, Zarada Cordova was able to to construct this novel. Uh, you know, she was very clever and economical with it. And that's a compliment. I don't mean clever in a bad way, because there's a lot of complexity in it. There are four main characters. It's still an adult High Republic novel. You know, same as as Light of the Jedi and Fallen Star and and uh, uh, Rising Storm. That level of complexity, but so I found it so much clearer with uh the character motivations and their origins and their development and the interactions between them are just so much easier to follow i do think claudia grace fallen started to achieve this as well um especially you had stella and elzar and bell but uh like i said before this novel more than the other three adult novels in higher Republic so far really nails that balance i found between uh a character driven story that feels big that feels significant um, especially because I think about the the importance of the Forever War and Aram and Arano and how everyone's has their attention on it. And we can we can go back and forth about that, but um, and and we can we can discuss about that. But uh, yeah, the it, you know it gets that balance. I found um, does so by I mean she she was very creative. She pairs them up, has two sets of pairs, kind uh, of quasi romantic storylines, sort of. Not really. Um, they're not really actually romantic, even though uh, she wrote Crash of Fate, which was a romance that maybe wasn't as successful. Um, you know, and, and it incorporates uh, a Jedi 
and three adult children of heads of state. And so uh, the tensions involved in that. Um, and then, of course, the balance that is achieved. Uh, you know, there, there's a, a balance that is achieved. The balance between, uh, I, I found, between the character-driven story and the uh, uh, kind of the, the larger complex historical story, which, again, I think Light of the Jedi especially struggled with uh, trying to tell a historical story in a novel form. This, uh, in uh, Convergence, I, I found it that the, the pairs themselves represent or you know embody or seek to affect the resolution of historic conflicts, right? as being children of uh, you know the firstborn not the firstborn but these adult children of these heads of state um and then a, a jedi knight you know, so axel graylark is of course the son of chancellor keon graylark uh he i thought he represents the underworld and by the way we're going to spoiler everything i'm going to spoil a big plot point here he also spoiler. represents the path and the, the path of the open hand uh the nile the chaos that they seek to bring so there's Axel on the other end with the underworld and the path of the open hand. Angela uh, representing, of course, the Jedi Order and the Republic's Order. And, and we'll get into those pairs in a bit, uh, that pair. And then, of course, uh, uh, Ziri Albaron, who's the, the daughter of the monarch of Erano, and Fantuzen, who's the, the son uh, of the monarch of Aram, Iram, and these two planets that are locked in this forever war because of their proximity. I found it explores the transforming, here's a theme, uh, explores the transforming power of convergence, of <laughs> encounter, collision, yes, but also encounter. Um, encountering people you didn't expect to encounter, mm -hmm. people you've pushed away, you've set aside, and the possibilities that those open up. Um, especially, you know, since Ziri and Fantu are both really wanting peace. Uh, mm -hmm. even though you know in in the light of the legacy their parents legacy of war and conflict so i found that really fascinating really successful um joel what are your overall thoughts on uh on convergence and and how well you think it stacks up to other high republic novels um i think i like passive deceit just more overall the book i found it a little bit more i mean i listened to this book a little yeah, half-hazardly myself so it's like um got a little lost mm -hmm. in places um but i can't speak because that's just me because i listen to this on audible i don't read the books right. i actually just get it on audible because it's cheaper um i mean that counts as reading to me but yeah. i mean that's just how painted yeah. um i i do enjoy mm -hmm. the conflict i like the idea of like the two planets kind of at that are not part of the republic at war i think it's, mm -hmm. it's one of the more interesting things of like you know, you can have a Star it's Star Wars, so yeah, kind of need the war, but it's not have to be a galactic mm -hmm. war. Just here's two planets at war. It's a big galaxy. You can just have a local problem. Um, mm -hmm. You know, it also kind of adds to that whole historical thing of like, there hasn't been a full-scale war since the formation of the Republic. A line have mm -hmm. attacked with the clones. Um, so it's like, well, yeah, full-scale war. Doesn't mean a lot of mm -hmm. little wars and mini wars. Um, little crises. Um mm -hmm. You know, in terms of the characters, um, I think I liked Axel the most. I found him the most memorable. Um, yeah. I got a little lost when it's like, oh, dang, he's part of the, the past of the open hand or was and then became it again. I'm like, oh, okay. I got a little lost there for a second, but that just might have been me. <laughs> um, Gela was kind of like, I, I she was fine. I didn't think she was as memorable as, like, you know, Kevmo. 
uh, was, yeah. you know, she was just kind of like, oh, she's the Jedi. She's the Jedi character. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, sadly, I, I don't remember much of the princess and the, the prince of the planet who were getting married. They, they were kind of the most, like, I don't remember them. I remember, like, there was, like, a little Padawan and, like, the older master who were with the Gela, mm-hmm. but that was about it. Um, yeah, that was at the beginning. But yeah. yeah. Um, you know, I, I do think it's interesting, kind of, the, the, the conflict of the forever war between these two planets. And obviously, the past doing its thing. The mother's up to her old mm-hmm. tricks. Of course, I remember the mother showing up like, oh, dear. Yeah. That's not good. <laughs> I, I love the mother. She's, yeah. I think she's my favorite character. I think she's my favorite High Republic yeah. character, period. I love villains like her. Um, <laughs> I like the Chancellors quite a lot. I think, you know, the the the, the Quarren Chancellor was a little more ambitious yeah, and gung-ho yeah. about. And then, uh, you know, the human one, uh, Greylark, Chancellor Greylark, a little more cautious. Also a little... Mm-hmm. Like a, I wonder if 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 this was written during Andor, it might be a little Mon Mothma with like you know good politician, but got family issues clearly going on, <laughs> um, and a lot yeah. of baggage going on just in general with her family and stuff. Mm-hmm. That everyone needs to deal with the family counseling therapy time. Um, <laughs> yeah, um, I think reading Passive Deceit first has helped kind of just with the context of it all. With like, okay, I know what the Passive the Open Hand is. Like, cause that was such a good introduction to that group. Like, I know what's going on. Um, you know, just seeing, you know, characters, like, um, get so devoted to the mother. Like, when they're failed, it's like, you know, oh, no, mother, I'm so sorry. Like, ah, you know, <laughs> like, I love it. Um, yeah. Um, overall, I thought the book was fine. Uh, you know, it certainly was a little bit more expansive. I don't think it's as that expansive in terms of mm. my thoughts of the galaxy, but it's like, terms of like here's this the, the crisis of the day is this two big planets that are at war um mm-hmm. i thought that was certainly the most interesting conceptual concept of it for sure yeah. i do enjoy like the little the, the inklings of the pairings between like gela and axel but i don't think mm-hmm. it, it went as far as i thought maybe it could go maybe not in terms of like romance but in terms of just developing it and looking at it and examining it i felt like it was like yeah. oh it's there and then they kind of went on to do other things um, mm. yeah, I thought it was a fine book, you know. I think they're all great, they're all, all good books. Like, I don't think they're mm. one that's like, oh, this is bad. <laughs> I never think I've ever said, thought that. Um, no, but yeah, no, it's, it's another fine one. Um, I think I like Path of Deceit so far, just a little more. I think that's been my favorite. I mean, I mean, that tracks with phase one and that the YA novels are just an upper, an echelon just above, I find. Except yeah. for I love Fallen Star, but yeah. Um, one thing I'll, Joel, one thing I'll be curious to hear uh, at the end of phase two is but even you mentioned you know how you've read path of deceit now uh i think i you are are you are gonna are you gonna be able to get to battle of jetta or i mean i'm, I'm sure i will i mean if it's on when yeah. it comes on audible then yeah of course um i don't know if it i want to listen to quest in, of the in Hidden... three and a half hours <laughs> i don't know if i want to listen to yeah. quest of the hidden city first or not though like i've been doing yeah. so good i want to kind of get ready yeah that's a question but i mean the thing is uh, reading more and having just just being more more consistent with getting to it than you were in phase one. And for other folks, uh, I'm curious to hear how people react to phase two and respond differently. Because if they're able to be on board more, that's just one of the fan reaction curious things I'm, I'm curious about. Um, one thing about the that forever war and, and why and we'll get to that more in a bit, but why I found it. Uh, a little larger scale, partly because 
it's there. It's the thing we're focusing on. I asked the question, why do the Jedi and the Republic care? Why do, why does the path care about, uh, about that? I think it's something I'm going to get to at the end, um, you know, because, you know, there, there's, uh, you know, some questions sorry, for, uh, battle of Jedi and for, uh, cataclysm coming up. So, uh, Oil, yeah, that's why. Yeah. well, yeah. Um, I mean the chaos, but yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get into that. I, I think we can get to, first of all, talking about Axel and Gela. Um, sorry, one sec. <laughs> there we go. Uh, and yeah, like, like you mentioned, yeah, Axel is definitely the most layered of all these characters, most deeply written. He is going to feature more in Cataclysm. I believe him. At least he's on the cover. We'll get to the covers in a minute in, in later too. Um, yeah, he constantly buckles at the strain of his mother's shadow. It's this interesting thing where uh, he he's you know, he I mean really dives into just similar to with uh, with Stellan in Phase One dives into celebrity and things of themes of celebrity and the 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 champagne problems as Taylor Swift likes to say you know of um, what it's you know being the Coruscant playboy of, of the galaxy and how uh, yeah I mean how he's expected to support his mother's career, be a public figure who doesn't want to join. He isn't a joiner. He isn't actually part of the path. At least he wouldn't say he's part of the path because he's not a joiner. He never commits like that. And um, uh, and part of that, and a big part of that, and a great way they showed, ways Rada Cordova showed this was uh, through the past pain of his father's death. And the tension, it's clear that he was the, in, in uh, you know among the parents uh the father was the good cop and keon Greylock is the bad cop parent there uh, as as just about all parenting couples are um and and that father's death uh really affects him uh, that uh, as as when he's he's younger i forget how old he is but he's definitely younger and uh this brings up an interesting point um you know clearly i gather this was written after clone war season seven aired but maybe some ideas were stirring there. Um, the circumstances after uh, Axel's father's death uh, with the Jedi uh, rescues Axel, but has to leave his father to die. And um, the Jedi say, oh, it was the will of the force. It's just as is the force wills it. Uh, this very non-interfere, non-committal pat answer, not, consoling or comforting at all just accept the circumstances see a goodbye it really thought of the martez sisters i really i really can consider that um you know the very similar reason for them to resent or distrust the jedi here's the thing i thought about this a little bit the 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 different time period means that the jedi have time to get better that uh you know with you know with the martez sisters is what three months left for the jedi order uh there's no time for them to get better nope. with this is 350 years uh, and around there or maybe more right um you know 300 and whatever math years uh you know even by phase one and phase three there's already then this activist faction they're clearly more active than we're used to in the time of the late republic and uh you know, it, it it's this interesting rising point, and that mm. of course I think the the end of phase one, that general retreat in the face of the Nile, 
is this point of saying, oh, we have tried to be at more active in the galaxy and we got slapped for it. We're all going to retreat into the Coruscant Temple. Uh-huh. But uh, yeah, th- there's, I think, what I think, just like how um, uh, Jorah Mali in, in Light of the Jedi, that council scene is this thesis statement, the tensions of a, should the Jedi be more activist and present and confronting the ch- threats of the galaxy? Or should they be more resistant or, and, and conservative, for lack of a better term? Uh, that, I mean, that tension exists. I mean, that's even with Qui-Gon and with Ahsoka, but very much an active conversation uh, all through the High Republic. And uh, I thought it was interesting just the way Axel's story reflects a an earlier and then later perspective of kind of pat answers, non-interference. Um, kind of what, a little bit what the Path of the Open Hand does a little bit. Uh, accuse or wants to see that you know the Jedi can't control the Force as they will, but uh, Jedi arrogance. So first of all, I'll stop there. I said a lot there. What did, what did you think about Axel and his uh, resentment of of the Jedi? Yeah, I love Axel. I, I think he was probably the most interesting character, as I, as I say before. Um, I don't remember. Did they say why they couldn't rescue his dad? Is like, is there a specific reason, or the Jedi just can get him? Uh, I think he was he was trapped and he was gone. The only way to save Axel was to let his father die. That seems to be okay, the objective, that's... reasonable perspective. But uh, Axel isn't capable of seeing that. Yeah, you know, you know, there's always you know issues. There's a certain amount of acceptance he's got to deal with. But I think, you know, it's like if someone dies, it's just like, well, will of God, will of God. It's like that doesn't help at the moment. You know, it's not how you grief. Um, you know, maybe. You know, gotta accept things as well, but you know, like that's not a, you know, don't go the whole act of God thing. That's like no, um, <laughs> it's like you can't just go will the force, will the force, goodbye. No therapy for you. Uh, just, there you go. Yeah. Um, we're not gonna pay for counseling. your therapy. <laughs> no great counseling for you. Um, yeah, yeah, and I, I think that's definitely that's always it's always interesting because I think that you like have that kind of little too much, and it's kind of need to like realize, hey, you know, people are upset here. They're angry, you know. This is kind mm-hmm. of the, this is kind of the one thing about the Jedi, and we could talk about this. I could probably think of a whole discussion of like anger, you know, fear leads to anger, hate leads to hate, hate leads to suffering, and that is truth. There is truth in those words, but anger at the moment is sort of like, well, mm-hmm. you know, let people be mad. Like I think you're, you know, there, there's we have, especially these days, you know, there's your emotions are valid. Um, mm-hmm. as long as you're not negatively affecting people, you know, if you're mad, you're mad. You, you know, those are you don't go, you know, oh, you're angry. That you know, you're gonna turn into a Sith Lord. Like, no, mm-hmm. that's not how most of this works. Um, and there's <laughs> a whole discussion of whether the Jedi should learn the nuances of emotions in that respect. Um, in terms of you know, the interventionist, I kind of wonder, and they don't go into this at all, but I kind of wonder if this is sort of like part of the. This has always sort of been the history of the Jedi, where it's like you know, if let's just let's just go with what we knew when back in the Legends days, if like you know there were Jedi armies led by Jedi lords against massive Sith <laughs> fleet forces and pro and Jedi chancellors ruling the Republic during those great battles, it's like mm-hmm. that's as interventionist as you can get with the Jedi, even more than the Clone Wars at the time, probably uh, like or full on Jedi lords and Jedi kingdoms. Um, mm-hmm. legends got weird, and you know, like we can't necessarily put that on the current canon whether they're going to go in that direction. But 
they've hinted at the fact that yeah, there were Jedi armies that battled the Siths in ancient times, and this is obviously still the galaxy still recovering from the last mm -hmm. big war against the Siths, and everyone thinks the Siths have been wiped out. So I think that I mean, the Battle of Malachor is that great example, right? Yeah, that we haven't fully explored yet. Hopefully, we do one day. <laughs> yeah, sorry. I yeah. hope so. No, I hope so. It's like, yeah, it's sort of like, well, maybe the Jedi kind of now are in more of a retreat period of like, you know, they're still reeling from that. And now mm -hmm. by, the, by the time they get to phase one, they get a little bit more confident in themselves to like, okay, mm -hmm. we have a lot more people. Let's actually do some stuff. Let's actually just maybe even circumvent Republic sanction and just go out to these planets and help them ourselves. You know, mm -hmm. we got the, we got force powers. We got to do something. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, they retreat again and they clearly kept retreating this time. Till you get to the Galactic Republic and the prequel era, and then that allowed it got so bad that it led to Order 66, and well, you know the rest. Um, yeah. so yeah, um, I do think that 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 could play into it, but obviously, this book doesn't really go into that, um, too much, but it's just certainly something I think about when you brought up all that, and kind of you know, it's an interesting thing, and um, you know, I think actually the character who needs counseling, but I think I could say that on every Star Wars villain. Like, yeah. he needs some good counseling. <laughs> I think his mom and him need to sit down with a counselor. I think, I think he yeah. needs, I think they all need a little, they all kind of are dysfunctional family. Mm -hmm. Either she's a great politician, great dysfunctional family, sort of a yeah. thing going on. Sort of like Mom Mothma's family, dysfunctional. In yeah, sense. a little bit. So, uh, I, a yeah, so I found yeah. her, I found him the most interesting character of the bunch. Yeah, I mean, uh, so, yeah, I do think uh, Kiev Trennis, I still keep on wondering if she's going to be that last burst of, no, we got to be out there. We got to actually help people. Um, then we get to Dooku in, in uh, Tales of the Jedi, where he's completely the Jedi are just useless and I'm going to leave, <laughs> uh, which does lead to the dark side in his case, but not necessarily in Kiev's case, not in Ahsoka's case. So, uh, yeah, that's always this interesting tension that is played out personally. And Axel plays it out personally. Gela, by the end, oddly enough, uh, i just thinking about this now. I mean, she wants to declare to be a way seeker. So maybe there's something in that. Maybe something in that one to be free to be more active, free to be able to, to, to meet young little Axels and their parents <laughs> uh, to, to help them in, in ways that, that a knight can't and uh or a master can't and so yeah, maybe uh, something to that we'll see we'll see if I do, Gilla, they're good i do have one thing that's another bit of speculation of and that is you know as you know communication is is kind of the the biggest theme of the high republic mm -hmm. era um and um historically speaking you know as in our modern times the more we become communicated well obviously yes it's allowed like you mean Matthew, you're in Canada, I'm in Southern California to talk and do this podcast. Yeah. Um, in terms of organizational structure, it also kind of creates the incentive for more centralized control over True. individuals where it's like, you know, back in the day, you know, it's like if the if you're at war, like the Roman Senate can send a general, but you know, it's like the generals, well, you you gotta just gotta trust the general to do his thing. We can't really yeah. command, but now we have command and control centers. Yeah. Um, which you know in modern warfare is necessary. But um in the case of the Jedi Order you know, that's this idea of communication and a more centralized Jedi order that allows, mm -hmm. you know, if Yoda says, you know, to the temple, we must go, not interfere anymore. 
that he has mm-hmm. more control over the Jedi Knights and the galaxy. He's like, hey, get back here. You're going to follow the Yoda way. Um, or else, I mean, I don't want to make Yoda like this dictator, but you know. Is Yoda, I mean, it's it's part of Yoda in, um, uh, in the end of phase one, but or, I mean, it's, the or it's the council as a whole, yeah. You know, and the kind of council kind of encroaching on the kind of individual individual aspects of knights. And I'm sure, you know, as a theologian, you probably have these discussions like, you know, hey, mm-hmm. how much is, should the Pope be telling the churches of <laughs> South America to, you know, toe in line here? Like how centralized should the or the whatever or religious organization you're part of should be? And, you know, I think that's also another reason why the Jedi had their problems because they got too centralized in one place. And when you can march on the temple and take out all the Jedi in one quick big explosion, then, you know, yeah, that, that doesn't help your order compared when you're spread out <laughs> all over the place. Yeah. Um, it, it's like, well, what Kevin Scott said about how communication in phase two in this era is spotty. If you yeah. want to introduce tension, have someone break their phone <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or, or lose their phone or whatever. It's a uh, good plot point. But uh, in this novel, it, all this is expressed personally and in Axel's grief, grief, and just, just, uh, he's a mess. He's, he begins the book, he begins and ends the book in prison, um, but in very different places in terms of uh, the, the self-made walls that got him into prison in the first place. And uh, he ends the book pretty broken because of his encounter with Gela. Uh, he, um, he begins the book just getting into trouble, drinking, uh, you know, punching out a, I think punching out a, a casino uh master whatever owner casino owner uh, and and his mother has to go and bail him out literally bail him out at the end where he's revealed he's opened up even together telling his story um we he opened we see him more open because uh, or or just we, he opens up what his connection to the path of the open hand is uh he he's still wrapped around the mother's finger even though he deny it he called uh, she calls him his chaos. Yeah, it, he ends up definitely broken, and it makes it makes for this interesting comments that uh, I think if it was Rada Cordova or whoever had it in the the, the High Republic show, um, uh, Lydia Kang is gonna have to try and fix him, whatever that means. Can he be fixed? Uh, interesting question there. Um, do you have any final th- thoughts on on Axel himself as a character and him being broken? No, it just it's kind of sad, but it's sort of like it's a, you know, it's like it's like just different types of broken. First he goes into drinking, and now he's sort of broken and finds himself in a nice little cult because <laughs> yeah. the mother's yeah. taking advantage of him. So it's like you need help. You need a nice support system. People who mm-hmm. actually care, or you know, who <laughs> yeah, I mean, open up to that sorry. as well. I mean, I think uh, he, he's broken, maybe in a, in a healthier way at this point, and you have to be opened up in order to actually begin healing. So there's that. Um, does he end up turning good? Uh, it's possible. That's that's the the tease, at least. Interesting, but with Gela, one last point there is, you know, she the reason she isn't necessarily as memorable as Laird, she really is just the foil for Axel in this book. Mm. And, and maybe that was a bit disappointing, especially since she's on the cover. Uh, you think she'd be have more to do. Maybe she has more to do in Cataclysm, uh, because Axel's on the cover, I don't know. Um, they should have reversed it. Yeah. Then. 
Yeah, it'd be it is interesting. I mean, the back of of the book they have her quote here. I mean, this is Axel asking her, uh, you know, if you weren't a Jedi, what would you do? Would you be free to run off with me and and have our have our beautiful romance? And yeah, she says, if I were not a Jedi, then I would not be who I am. And that that I mean, part of it, yeah, and she's just a foil because she comes from a place of strength and clear character already which isn't necessarily bad it just means uh of the of the four she just isn't the most well-rounded and again everything else worked and fits so well around her that i didn't mind it but um yeah i guess it could be more maybe i don't know i'm trying i can't decide because there are four characters one of them i guess had to inevitably take a bit of a back seat um you know, four four pilots one had to let it go. But anyway, we have lots of great Jedi characters, like you said with Kevmo. So um yeah, any last thoughts on Axel and Gela before I move on? No, I am curious to see where their storyline goes and kind of where they're mm-hmm. where they end up. They certainly are kind of a, a, a pair. A pair. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I hope that uh, you know Gela gets a little bit more to do or a little bit more insight into the next book though, in the sequel. Yeah, I mean it's interesting. We we began High Republic and Light of the Jedi talking about Jedi romances where Jedi near near uh, get, get near attachments. I mean, we know in, in Padawans are free to go ahead, but uh, here's a knight who can't, or maybe a Wayseeker who can't necessarily. But yeah, we'll see um, what happens there. Okay. Um, I want to back, at, you know, zoom out a little bit before we talk about Ziri and Fantu, talking about Aram, Arano Aram, and the for, Forever Wars, not just Forever War, because there are also wars that feel like they went on forever. Um, you know, unlike with, say, the Republic, the, the Jedi and the Nile, the Jedi and the Path, who are, are just separate and away from each other, and, and that'll change with the Battle of Jedi and that, that convergence, that collision happening there. Arano and Aram, their proximity is the reason for their conflict. And um, I really, and Cordova did such a great job showing this tension through plot, not really through so much through, through dialogue or through exposition, all this tension of her importing resources and, and connection to the outer rim, even at the beginning, how uh, the supply ship with carrying the ice, much needed water for, for Arano, uh, and, and and Ziri can't let it go to Aram or else they'll lose all the resources because they're desperate because they've been locked in this war. And um, it, it, it's, it's, it's such a classic, very human uh, political conflict over resources that then, of course, boils into and explodes into these intensely tribal identities. And there are, of course, these two narratives that, you know, narrative that each planet has it does seem in this cycle of violence that Arano does seem the more aggressive. And also, you know, Aram's, Aram's narrative, at least often is, uh, they're trying to be more peaceable, but Arano attacks and Aram has to respond. And, 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 um, you know, the, what is it? The, uh, you know, the ferals and the children of Arano don't actually help. Uh, well, they kind of help, prove Aram's point a little bit uh you know th- these these terribly violent activist uh fanatics on Arano's side reflecting the entrenched tribal identities 
then um you know Arano's narrative often is Aram violently attacks Arano and their territory and possibly innocent personnel, innocent people, even though Arano was simply acting in their best interest, defending their property, defending their territory. Queen Adriella's poison doesn't poison plot doesn't help uh help matters either. Uh helps, you know, kind of reinforces Arano's narrative a little bit. Um yeah, Aram's is far more understandable, I found, but uh and more subtle. So very again, very reflective human. I, I get to get in. Oh no. Oh no, we lost him. Ah, that doesn't look good. Well yeah, um I'll keep going this. Um I'm back. Are we back? Uh, I don't know if Joel's back, but we'll see what happens there. Anyway, I'll keep going. Uh, you know, Arano, he, uh, the, uh, yeah, they feel like, oh, here we go. Here's Joel. Sorry, guys. We're back. We're back. We're I don't know life. what happened there. Uh, Who knows what happened there? Did, when you, maybe okay. with the rain? No, it happened to you yes. too, right? Okay, yeah, good. So I don't know. It could be good in stream yards. Anyways, we're back. Everyone's back. Everyone say hi. Um, <laughs> okay. So, okay. yeah. So uh, before I, we get into the real apparel, Joel. Um, talking about the uh, yeah, the 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 Forever War itself. Uh, what did you think of it? What did you think of that? Just the cycle of violence and those competing narratives. No, I mean I think it's it's interesting. Um, in terms of like you know, kind of the two plants in a in a war. Uh, sorry, I'm a little fuzzled because of like what happened. Like I lost yeah, my. We, we, we lost our train of thought for a few seconds. Um, mm -hmm. It does seem like Arano seems the most aggressive and the most in the wrong. I mean, when you have a poison plot, you kind of lose the moral high ground. Like, I don't, like, you know, I don't know the whole story, but it's sort of like, you know, if, if one side is just using sticks and stones and the other side has a nuclear warhead and mm -hmm. tanks, uh, I think we know which one is probably not in the right here and has clearly the advantage. Um, we can make a lot of real world parallels to situations like that where it's like I will in a second. So keep tanks <laughs> versus just people on the streets with nothing to mm -hmm. lose. Um it does seem like Aram has a little bit more than just people on the streets, but mm -hmm. it does seem like now that Arano's got they got the nice weapons and the ships and the poison, and it's like okay, clearly one of these plants is not in the morally right anymore. Mm -hmm. If if they ever were, and if they were, I think they lost it a long time ago. Mm -hmm. Um so you know, there's there's stuff to answer for, and I found that really interesting. Of like, this is clearly not. It's not like two sides are equal of equal stature. You know, where mm -hmm. like they both have armies and tanks, and like they're kind of both cruddies. Like, it does seem like one planet right now is kind of being yeah. a bully on the street yard, and the other is like, you know, maybe you should stop. You I mean, know? yeah, sure. No, it's like keep going. So, I mean, and it's it's so tragic because uh, you know Ziri keeps mentioning, keeps expressing, and even the the, the narration, the story keeps saying uh, they had all these partners who were providing resources. They could have had the time and finances to develop more cultivation, maybe climate controls, uh, irrigation, even in the desert, and yet they spend all this time and money and effort on this war because they developed such a military industrial complex around it. Uh, Monarch Alberon's power base seems to be run on constant war. 
they have these elaborate burial rituals that foster this uh, this identity that is defined by we are going to kill Aram, and um, you know, we we have to defend ourselves. We're under the constant threat from this evil empire across the across the way, across the river, uh, across the, the the Jordan River. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, or maybe not the Jordan River. That's not even geographically accurate uh because i mean it really i really thought of um the israeli-palestine conflict and then the intifada but you know the you know since really since uh the 1967 war where you know, israel israeli troops fought through jerusalem and they'd say oh jerusalem is our sacred capital so we're going to go capture it this this isn't exact there there isn't you know this isn't like Jeddah. The Battle of Jeddah we might go into this more, but in terms of narratives about we're just preserving our interests, I mean the settlements, especially into the territories, and how those get attacked because of all the ways those settlements um, uh, disrupt life for Palestinians and make 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 that life so much more difficult and mm-hmm. make take away opportunities. You know, Israel did has done a good job in terms of developing irrigation and resources, but they could do so much more. They could contribute to uh, to more peace, a more peaceable Middle East. That you know, the the prompting of the Intifada and how you know uh, terrorist attacks that get launched and rockets get getting launched across the walls and you know the building of the walls, but um, suicide bombers and stuff that doesn't help either. <laughs> doesn't help the narrative uh, either just reinforces Israel's narrative to some extent. It It is this cycle that goes back and forth. One is a more Western military industrial power and the other is as an Arab, uh, you know, Eastern-esque uh, you know, nation that is, is more under threat and not just Muslim. There are Christians there too. But uh, yeah, I mean, that that's, um, that's the parallel I thought of in that, you know, the lack of trust, the lack of ability for trust, the ferals and the children of Arano very much like the more, uh, the more aggressive factions in Israel. Um, you know, the, the, the poison again, you know, the intifada again, doesn't help, but uh, yeah, clearly that helps for, certainly helps us read Arano's narrative as the, the less understandable one. Um, Arano's position as, less tenable morally uh what did you think of, of that parallel um what, what do you what is your response to that i mean i never took israel palestine i kind of just took any yep. say pakistan india in the Kashmir conflict north south korea um that's kind of the tension there um but i definitely think you know it's like even just sci-fi stories in general like here's two plants that have been constantly at war for a gazillion years and no one knows why anymore um kind of a situation um but no i i think there's an interesting parallel to it i think there'd be a better more direct point if like arano has been occupying arana for like yeah. a long time it's True. like they don't even have they don't even have a territory anymore just it's just people on the streets arano got all the cool good stuff um yeah. so you know there's there's that um but uh you know yeah i do think that you know the poison doesn't help, but at the same time, it's like, you know, Arano's got the tanks and the weapons and the Star Destroyer. I mean, drill have- ships that can just tear through. 
Yeah, why did, why did the field need to have the poison in the first place, right? Why why, why did the uh, what, is, what is the other planet have? I don't know, just like a, a star fighter. There you go. <laughs> they have some fighters, yeah, but they also have just mainly that shield. But yeah, yeah, it, it's true. Um, but you no, know, yeah, but so it's like, well, one planet is clearly a lot more sympathetic here, and yeah. I like them a little bit more. Um, but yeah, um, but also you know resources. It's always about resources in some regard. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I, I found oil, there, maybe oil, perhaps oil, water. Yeah. I mean, water is a big deal in the Middle East. Um, oil, you know, water. <laughs> in North America, we're we're a lot better. We're a lot, back to, a lot easier. Yeah, back to back to for Star Wars references. Um, yeah. but no, yeah, I found that really interesting as well. And it's kind of like, well, you know, is Era not going to keep sliding more and more to the the extreme militancy? certain countries that we just mentioned are heading to right now with their prime ministers um yeah. or uh ooh, little red dot on my head ah uh -huh, dear um but uh you know uh you know or will the, the princess or i forget is it is that the prince or the princess from the planet uh so ziri it's ziri alberon of erano fantuzen of aram yeah the, the princess and prince and princess can like Maybe it's time to start reversing the trend and kind yeah. of reshaping your society to be less militant in general, and that mm -hmm. might help. Yeah. Um, so I'll be very curious to see if well, actually, no, I think we kind of know already because I think they spoiled it in phase one. Um, yeah. But uh, in terms of like you know what what where that direction goes. Yeah, it's true that you know Starlight Beacon crashes on Aram because it, it's there because uh, the conflict isn't over. You know, 150 years later, or or re reemerges or something. Uh, it's a good good segue to talk about uh, the princess of Arano and the the prince of Aram, Ziri Alberon Fantuzen. Uh, so I, I mentioned how the proximity between those two planets is what causes the conflict, right? Conflict over resources. Um, they're, they're they're in close quarters, and you're trying to breathing room. Uh, don't want to get there. Um, the, the, the way that that bursts into ethnic conflict and, uh, you know, tribal conflict, their proximity also provides the opportunity for peace. Uh, the encounter on, in Aram's ocean between these adult children of their monarchs, and that's another part of how this depicts Aram's more peaceable approach, is the way Ziri is treated in, in the palace on Aram, uh, in, in the... Uh, in the What's it called? Erasmus City. Interesting name for it. Uh, yeah, and, and they're kind of Romeo and Juliet-esque. They're literally star-crossed, but they're not exactly lovers. Um, they come up with this plan. Say, if we get married, then we're going to be in a personal union and our planets have to be allied and work together and we draft up this treaty and they actually have to, uh, you know, have, to have to embody this peace that they hope to build, they do grow into the romance. I do think they grow into their bond. Um, I don't know if they necessarily end up kissing at all, but they certainly show tenderness and care for each other. In part, I think due to the commitment to peace and, and to their home worlds, it's nice that it wasn't super lovey dovey. Um, it's nice that it was more subtle. These are, are two people who've just met and there's still a lot of political tension, uh, overriding undergirding surrounding them um 
loyalty, duty to their parents, to their planets, to peace uh, is really their motivation. But then, yeah, I mean, the connection does emerge. It, this this marks it off from an from a young adult novel as an adult novel. I think it's more realistic that they aren't just sucking face in the first five minutes. <laughs> um, you know, not, not that necessarily YA novels would do that either, but uh, I appreciated that it was a little more subtle than that. So, um, you know, I know that that's not too much on, on Ziri and Fantino's characters. I, I thought that it was pretty memorable. I really thought Ziri was, was really cool. Really, uh, really took charge in the classic vein of, of Leia and of Padme and of, of Ray. Um, these young women who who stand up and um, even even defying her father and interesting contrast with Axel in that she wants to escape her father's shadow uh, not in a way of saying of buckling against it but in a, again in a more morally upright way of saying this legacy of conflict is not serving anyone I'm going to pursue peace. And we get that from the very beginning. You know, she goes up and she's going to have that line. She'll be inevitably blamed for, she goes up in the, she's a captain Alberon uh, of the Arano space force, whatever. Uh, she says, there's going to be some, some dust up after this armistice that she'll inevitably be blamed for, even though it wasn't her fault. Um, yeah. I, I, I actually, I, I duck her. I thought she was great. And fan too, you know, he isn't the typical bravado macho hero. He shows uh, a good degree of diplomacy. I, I really appreciated how he comes from this lower class family. His birth parents, her birth mother dies, and he's adopted into the royal family. And he doesn't, so he doesn't feel entitled. He feels connected to the common people. So that's where his motivation for peace comes from. I, I, I really appreciated them. Um, Joel, you, you say you, you weren't. It would, I mean, Axel seemed to have overshadowed a lot of your perspective here. But uh, what 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 are your thoughts on Ziri and Fantu? Oh yeah, like I said, I didn't, I don't remember them quite much. I do remember when the proposal for the marriage came, and everyone's like, "What?" Uh, but that, that that to me was like, "Oh, that's kind of traditional medieval style yeah. marriage." Of I mean, that's what marriage was back in the day. It was like back in the good old days, marriage wasn't all this lovey dovey stuff. It was economical. You get yeah. the you get your chick for a couple of chickens, <laughs> or, this, <laughs> or in um, this case, for for maybe lasting peace, but you know. everlasting peace and two kingdoms and combined resources. <laughs> and uh, that, that's how we did it in the Victorian days too. It's like that's why we married off to the kings and queens of Prussia. Um, you know, but yeah, it makes sense. It's like you know, it's a political marriage between these two people. Maybe they'll fall in love. Maybe they won't. I don't know. Sometimes love matches can happen. Um, they seem willing we, to at least, right? Yeah, where you know the, their their child could become the king of two planets, or maybe mm -hmm. they're you know divided up between siblings. Although who knows? Maybe that could that could just like World War One. That could all be terrible. With yeah, maybe that's how it falls apart. Who knows? Just now, just family feud mm -hmm. uh, between the two cousins who are kings or queens of the planet. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I I don't remember too much. I remember just kind of them talking to their parents and being all too. You know how they're just <laughs> I know, kids these stuff. days always going we, for peace and we won't concord <laughs> exactly I, yeah exactly but uh, you know I mean I thought it was an interesting plot point overall and I think it, I think the fact it wasn't lovey dovey makes sense because it is just a political marriage mm -hmm. you know it's, it's kind of duty first and 
personal yeah. second, you know, with that's how kind of monarchs are supposed to behave. Um, so yeah, I mean, I thought the plot line was interesting enough. Um, yeah. so yeah, uh, I, I like <laughs> that's the one I don't have much to say on, sadly. That's right. Um, again, who knows? We'll see, hopefully, see more of them. Are they in the Battle of Jedi cast? I can't quite remember. Um, but yeah, it's a yeah, I mean, clearly, well, the treaty is hopefully going to be worked out on Jedi in theory. It's good to know that the wedding actually does happen in this novel, so at least that that much, except Axel almost ruins it all, which we'll see. Uh, because he's, um, again, whether or not he admits it, he's under the, the, the spell, the sway of the mother and the path of the open hand. Um, talk about this group that continues to amaze, continues to be really intriguing. One of the, well, the, the most interesting contributions of all of, I mean, all of High Republic, but just very quickly. We've had them, what, for two or three novels so far, a young adult novel in this, and they're already incredibly fascinating um they look and act more like the nile in this in this novel than in path of deceit uh at least in like in the fallen star they lurk in the shadows they the way i mean the way they retreat to the gaze are electric and um the mothers they're on the gaze electric pulling the strings just like markian there is none of marta's flowers or her convictions about the force and about uh, non-interference and whatnot. That's, I mean, that's a little bit through Axel, but not really. Even he's not a believer. The way Marta is, um, Serena and them, and and, and all the other the 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 other uh, path characters aren't necessarily. But they're, they're the children of of the mother, um, in that more active kind of like uh, Yana is. Yeah. So I, I definitely, but still, it's more. It's another interesting look at them and how they work. Very quiet, very subtle, not full blown. I expected them to be more full blown, but I liked the way they were just just slightly in the background, not really like using a very deft touch to try and set things off course. Maybe the fact that they fail is why they get to be more aggressive at the Battle of Jeddah. We'll see. Again, great show, not tell. Uh, even the dialogue, they don't go into why they care, uh, why they're there. It's just even the silent actions of characters, you know, the narration of Serena hacking the starfighter at the beginning, just this leaving the signal dampener on the moon, uh, you know, the, the little, little subtle pinpricks that they're trying to make. And then uh, the mother, she really has everyone begging for scraps. She, yeah, you know, she knows the thing is with, with Axel, she knows he wants to create chaos. She, she knows he wants to ignore the the pain, ignore his suffering, paint it over through alcohol, through gambling, through whatever. And not the gambling is inherent. Not that those things are inherently evil, but the to the excesses of those things, um, the disaster level of those things. And, and he says, "Okay, well, here's an opportunity." She says, "Here's an opportunity. Sow some chaos, cause some heck." Uh, wreaks of havoc and uh yeah my chaos you know this is the, the role you play this is your place in the galaxy axel Greylock is to just cause chaos uh this is how you stick it to your mother and stick it to you know mm -hmm. your ex-girlfriend or whoever you know um 
So yeah, again, lots lots to love about the mother here and the path itself. Again, very much quiet behind the scenes, but again, uh, Joel, continue to to riff on how much you love the mother in this. Oh yeah, she's great. I love her. She's got such presence, such a kind of a such a presence to her. I love the kind of cult feeling mm-hmm. about her. Uh, you know, this is one of those things where I think again, reading Path of Deceit first really really helped kind of just get me to understand what the Path of the Open Hand is all about because like. Path of Deceit already does all the, the, the heavy lifting of, like, this mm-hmm. is what the Path of the Open Hand's about, it's what their whole thing is, is the mother, what she's kind of all about, and now you kind of see them, okay, here they are, kind of in action, doing their, their dastardly mm-hmm. deeds. Oh, excuse me. Um, But yeah, I mean, just lovers, they kind of, like, like oh, and then they never angry or upset, kind of like, you can like yell or scream when something <laughs> goes wrong, she's kind of, yeah, like a mother, she's kind of just got that. <laughs> yeah. Don't want to disappoint mother, um, kind of attitude to it, and so it's really cool, and I like it. Um, I kind of like the pass of the. I kind of hope that the pass of the open hands finds its way to phase three. Like, I I want the mother to like be secretly frozen in carbonite, and then she comes back <laughs> to phase three a hundred years later. <laughs> That'd be interesting. Um, <laughs> yeah. um, but no, it's like it's really interesting to see where this where this is all goes right mm-hmm. now, um, and just you know what obviously they're kind of the precursor to the Nile so I wonder like what kind of the what happens to them to where where they kind of get off the Republic and the Jedi's radar because it's actually something I've been thinking about in terms of the scale of the whole High Republic initiative era Mm -hmm. is ultimately you can't well you can nothing said you can't contradict the there hasn't been a full-scale war since the formation of the Republic like the Clone Wars is supposed to be this this galactic conquest that just affects everything like you know even Coruscant got attacked and Coruscant wasn't attacked in over a thousand years like the last the last bit threat to the galaxy obviously was the Sith and their empires and whatever that last mm-hmm. big destructive war that I like to imagine happened happened so it's sort of like is the Nile and the paths of the open hand it's we think it's a big thing because that's how the story is telling us you know like if you you know, because if you if you tell a story kind of like in a small kind of scale, like oh, mm-hmm. it's like it's big here, but like in the grand scheme of things, it's like ah, you know, local conflict. Like you know, it's like you watch a movie about a local conflict in a in a country far, far away. It's like yeah. not War Two, where everything's being affected. Not mm-hmm. that I don't want to take away from the the hurt and pain that those conflicts have, sure. obviously. Um. So again, it's sort of like, well, what gets the pass of the open hand off of the Jedi and the new and the Republic's radar, and obviously what. The Nile quickly, eventually, must dissipate soon because obviously, you know, they're kind of the Republic got another couple hundred years of good times ahead of it before the Clone Wars. So it kind of makes you wonder. It's like, well, how big did things really get before things yeah. kind of get ended? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, yeah, kind of like what I was saying with Aaron and Aram, the Nile, the path in the Nile, they feel big because they're the big bad uh, of the High Republic. But yeah, I mean, what's their significance? overall if this doesn't become a full-scale war like i don't think it should you're right i mean my answer immediately my instinct to the answer is to say uh the the big implications is what does this mean for the jedi and how do they proceed to retrench and 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 just shirk back in fear stay like i was saying before you know this is they they are they they try and be more activists try and go out and help people and and um you know, handle situations, be more sensitive and caring, and then they get slapped for it. 
uh, by the Nile and they, they retreat, say, no, we can't got to go back. Um, you know, they, they refuse to forget to trust in the force <laughs> and trust in the light side and, and actually just retrench and say, no, we're going to trust in the Republic instead and serve the Senate instead. And, uh, that large scale thing. Interestingly enough, though, you bring this up, uh, Charles souls, Soros ongoing comic. Oh no. Is it them or is it, um, yeah, I'm pretty sure it's, uh, Luke, Leia and, uh, yeah. uh, what, what's her name? Oh, goodness gracious me. In, uh, Leia's friend in last Jedi. Holdo? Here I go again. Yeah. Emily Holdo. Yeah. They, I think it's them or is it Afra and Santa? I can't remember. And <laughs> the Afro comic, they come across a Nile ship, and um, and the and, and I think Luke is all the Nile weren't they just a myth? Did they exist? Or somebody says something like that, and uh, it's like uh, yeah, they they've receded from memory, receded from history. Uh, there is a theory that they become um the the Night Riders, or not the Night Riders, the uh like uh like um shoot. In Solo, the the Marauders in Solo, yeah, yeah, those guys who F are, yeah, uh, who of course are are become part of the Rebel Alliance and are actually protagonists in that era. But yeah, um, it's a great question that I'm gonna watch out for, especially in Phase Three. I do. We'll see. I do wonder, like, how much the general public is even watching this whole Nile thing. It's like, is this a big deal in the galaxy, or is this just a big deal to the Jedi and everyone else? Is like. And it's like, or, you know, is there going to be like a conspiracy where it's like the Jedi like start kind of retracting the records? When I, what Nile? There's no Nile. I don't know what you're talking about. We don't talk about Nile here. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, what, what happened? What went on? I mean, I know a thousand years is a long time, but still. I mean, the one thing I'll say is uh, the destruction of Starlight Beacon is a big deal. That's and Mark Yin taking responsibility for that. You, know, you want to talk about um about terrorism and isis and all that you know um yeah you know marking broadcasting the galaxy look at that i did that look at us how how terrible we are but i mean that's the thing redacting just like they rate someone erases camino i mean it's you know it's dooku or whoever dooku erases camino uh people can erase the memory of starlight beacon and and the failure because the failure makes the jedi look bad so yeah it's again great question I hope they, I trust they will address in phase three. I don't know if they'll address it in the acolyte. It would be nice if at least Leslie Headland's thinking of can I bring something in again. We don't know uh, how much it's going to connect or not, but I, I just I, kind of curious. Like again, in the whole Star Wars is and isn't one story angle yeah. of like how does this fit in the wider Star Wars history? Like you know, yeah. like I mean, clearly of, again, the answer is. It's why the Jedi retreat and become right. generals and clones. But uh, how and why and what's what's leading to that? And what are the tensions leading to that? Uh, you know, with again, with I think with with Keeve and then ultimately Dooku. Um, yeah, it's a great question. Uh, more questions, uh, for future and what what this raises for the Battle of Jedi, which uh, comes out in two and a half hours. Yeah, around there. I'm going to probably hopefully be asleep by then, but we'll see. Um, and so Battle of Jedi by George Mann, Cataclysm by Lydia King that comes out in April. Um, will the treaty succeed? To what extent will the treaty succeed? Uh, 
how long, for what time, or will it not at all completely fail? Is that what sparks the Battle of Jeddah? Um, I, I suspect that has more to do with the path intervening and disrupting the peace and becoming more activist, saying they failed with Aaron Owen Aram. Um, and so they actually have to go explicitly on the offensive, such as the, the way they do in, in uh, uh, The Rising Storm, for example, and of course The Fallen Star. Uh, I mean, as opposed to, say, the hyperspace disaster, where it's kind of an accident. I mean, they kind of, they enjoy it, they take advantage of it, but it was a bit of an accident that they their paths converge with the the, the ship's uh, normal hyperspace. But uh, yeah, in this case, I, I wonder if they're going to be say, oh yeah, we failed. The, the quiet approach failed. We got to succeed with the the more overt uh, propaganda war, but also maybe more overt war. We'll see. Um, another question, though, is why did they care about, like I raised at the top, why, why did the path actually care about continuing the forever war? Why did Serena try and hijack the or reprogram the plane of the ship in the first place? Why, why is Axel brought on to actually create more chaos? I do think, um, you know, you know, they, they want to create chaos. They want to show the Republic and the Jedi or show the galaxy of the Republic and the Jedi aren't as strong. I think they want to use this as an example um, mm-hmm. that they can't control the force or can't control it as it as benevolently as they claim. Because we know, I mean, Molo arrives on the scene, the Jedi arrive on the scene. They want to see this as Gilla and, and, and Creighton's son and them and Charles Roy. They want to see this as, use this as an example of, hey, look, the Jedi can go out. The Republic can go out and create peace. We know Molo wants to secure his position with, uh, with Greylark. Um, let's say, yeah, I'm going to be the, the activist chancellor who is actually going to bring, bring peace and actually bring peace to the outer rim um and so the fact that they start to succeed it's a big win for them and that's partly again why this feels bigger than just a localized conflict it's an example it's 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 propaganda in in the not not in the negative sense but just in the it's messaging right um so uh that's my thought another question is again uh you know, they talk about fixing Axel. Um, yeah, and he, he's pretty broken at the end of Convergence. Uh, but, you know, is this a way that opens up new possibilities in Cataclysm? Uh, we'll see. I don't know, Joel, what do you, if you have any thoughts on those questions. If Are there other questions that that uh, Convergence opens up for, uh, for the rest of High Republic Phase 2 and even Phase 3? Yeah, I mean, you know... Activist governments, you know, what's I think this is definitely a question to ask. It's like, what's the difference between <laughs> activist governments and imperialism? You know, it's right. like we're gonna invade a country because we want to bring democracy because we're because demo- democracy is epic. We're America, 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 yeah, America, America, bring American values, whether you Mission want them or not, exactly. You know, it's <laughs> sort of that. Um, not that I think trying to bringing peace is always a good thing you know um mm-hmm. all the stuff with the nile the past it just kind of makes me wonder what are the cis doing right now are they just looking at all this like dang we don't have to do anything let's just relax and just <laughs> take it nice and smoothie while we sit in the <laughs> beaches and just 
Yeah. Let things just don't fold and we'll just sit around. Like, what, what are they doing? What, 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 mm-hmm. what, like that? And maybe that's, that's obviously, I think, what Acolyte's going to answer, hopefully, if anything. It's like, what were the Sis doing this whole time? It's like, yeah. well, you know, got the Nile doing sissy things and the Opas of hand being all manipulative and starting proxy wars and spreading <laughs> chaos. It's like, you're doing the Sis jobs for them, um, yeah. pretty much. Um, that's, that's always. Yeah always the question in terms of why the jedi care it's like i mean i would just hope just because the jedi think they're good guys and they just want to help want to help out where they can so see mm-hmm. poor planets and troubles getting worse and worse maybe they decide ah, let's try and do something uh, about mm-hmm. it i mean obviously you know i think um you know the chancellor see like oh another member for the new republic and all the benefits that could come with the, that the so, old republic <laughs> the old republic all right the galactic republic, republic. Republic. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. You know, it's like the Republic in general. So it's like a little bit of a, bit of a yeah, uh, uh, kind of a kind of a interesting, mm-hmm. an interesting kind of uh, thing there. Uh, no, yeah. Thomas Holder. I don't think the Sith are looking for eternal life. Palpatine and Plagueis are. I don't know if all of them are. I don't think. I think that's just the Palpatine yeah. Plagueis thing. Um, I mean, they might be at this point. Who knows? But we don't know. Um, well, yeah, yeah. and interesting because we know Markian's lightsaber is likely Kevmos. It's not from a Sith. It's not from whatever. I mean, it's it's a yellow lightsaber. It's likely Kevmos. Uh, he got from great 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 grandma. So <laughs> there you go. Um, right. One interesting thing I want to show you guys, show everyone. I didn't fully realize. I did realize a little bit. That's the question of of Gela and Axel, and. Kind of get, fixing Axel here, uh, especially the adult novels form this interesting diptych, where you, ha- I mean, you have the yellow bands, uh, the blue, and then the purple, and I mean, here's Axel with a purple lightsaber that looks a lot like Gela's, and uh, a blaster, um, and so interesting. You know, usually you see someone holding a lightsaber, and it is more they're more, you know, and that isn't red. <laughs> Usually, it's more on the light side. I mean, we know of the lore with Mason Dew's thing, but um, this was this image is from uh, little boy here on Reddit uh, from the High Republic subreddit. Um, yeah, and, and talking about yeah, I mean, less so the the young adult novels more subtly form a bit of a diptych, but especially the 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 adult novels there um, form this kind of this really neat parallel. Clearly, that was intentional. Uh, yeah, so so we'll see. Uh, see how the two novels interact with each other, and how Battle of Jeddah. It seems to be this lynch point. This, this Battle of Jeddah. That I'm yeah. I'm mm-hmm. a little concerned for myself that I didn't finish Quest for the Hidden City, and I'm mm-hmm. like, oh, should I finish that before listening to Battle of Jeddah? Like, I don't know. Uh, I hope. Well, can, can I mean, you I'm not reading the comics either. either. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not yeah. reading the comics either. So. <laughs> That's like the answer. I'm just I'm trying to focus on the books. Yeah. So fair enough. I'm generally um, curious as like what what I'm gonna miss out on here. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, tractor beam will have you covered a little bit if you want to know. Just you know, uh, but yeah, there are ways. Um, yeah. Sorry, I'll just say, yeah. Uh, well, you know, I mean, I'll, actually, I wonder. Here's the thing. This is a question: Is with High Republic, have they done a better job phase two of bringing people up to speed? in the different media you mentioned you know having read path of deceit you get what the path of the open hand are 
so much more. I'd be curious to see someone who has read Convergence without reading Path of Deceit, if they have a sense, at least, of what they're on about. I do think, I do think Battle of Jedi is probably going to have to go into it because on Jedi people are more explicitly religious about or more explicit about what their beliefs are in the force. And so it is this meeting place. It is this place of convergence and collision. And um, we see this, this light colliding probably off the battle of Jedi. Very curious to see what happens there. All right. Um, you know, before we, before we end, uh, Joel, do you have any, any kind of further thoughts, any closing thoughts on convergence? Uh, would you recommend it? etc.? Yeah, I'm sure I recommend it. I'm sure people would like it. Again, I would highly recommend reading Path of Deceit first. I think you'll get a lot more out of it before reading uh, Convergence. Um, so far, it seems like Quest of the Hidden City is enough of a small enough story where it doesn't feel like I'm missing much. Mm-hmm. Um, unless those characters show up in something like Battle of Jedi. Um, I think Solandra does show up in Battle of Jedi, so... Okay, well, you know, the comics right now seem very detached from what those three stories, but that's, again, yeah. Jedi, so... Yeah, that's uh, the thing. The comics are definitely going to play in, I really think, so... Uh, there's that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but no, I, I recommend it. It's definitely an interesting story, and um, just read past the deceit first, quite frankly. That's mm-hmm. that's my only advice yeah. for anybody. Um, again, the, the more I think about this book, the more I, I consider... Yeah, the more I'm, I'm really satisfied, again, with the way it, it, it's re, it really holds together way better. I think not way better, but a lot better than, than other adult novels, which all more complex. And this is complex. There is a lot of moving pieces weaving around, but again, the way, the way she focuses on these four characters, uh, younger, not young, younger, uh, hopeful for the future, but also clear about their responsibility to the past. And, and the need to innovate on the past. I, I definitely appreciate it. I enjoyed it. Um, definitely recommend it as well. Um, yeah, before we before we end, Joel, you had one last thing. And we're maybe kind of pioneering a new little uh, segment here. One last thing. Go, Joel, go for it. Yes, 2023. So I'm going to make a prediction. I'm going to predict that sometime this year and one of the shows, so I can cover my butt on which one, I think we're going to see Mon Mothma again this year. I don't know what show, but I think we're going to see her and played by Genevieve O'Reilly mm-hmm. one more time. I want to say an Ahsoka for some reason. Maybe, well, um, I mean, Hera's got connections, yeah. so... Yeah, it seems to be the one most, most tied in with the Skywalker saga, obviously. Ahsoka is a Skywalker. Let's not fool ourselves. Um, tied into... Maybe what's happening on Coruscant and on Chandrilla and everything Luke is up to potentially connecting also back to Leia. So, again, that, it's possible. If that happened, I'd love it. That could just be a cold take. Um, guest character appearance, yeah. We'll see. I'm going to say my prediction for the Sana Staros comic is that references to her uh, her ancestors' uh, uh Oh goodness, the kid in 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 phase one, especially uh, just a uh, Justina Ireland character. This is a Justina Ireland comic. I think that's a good bet that there's going to be some. I mean, we know her her brother or father yeah. is in it, so looking forward to that book. It, it was one of the surprising announcements that 
uh, yeah, but I'm appreciating. She's a great character. She's a great story in the latest, latest uh, Dr. Afra comic. So that'll be an interesting one too. Okay, Joel, do you have uh, any final thoughts before we, we wrap this up? Nope. Good book. I'm going to try and see how far I can get into the quest for the hidden city for doing the battle of Jeddah. Maybe mm-hmm. I'll just have to reread the quest for the hidden city and doing battle of Jeddah. Cause that's probably gonna be our next big one. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, uh, excitement and, Oh, and bad batch, bad batch is yes. coming. We excited. Yay. Bad yeah. batch. Willow bad, episode six, bad batch time. episode one, season two, episode one. Yeah. That's gonna be fun. Yeah. The return of eyes on screen. It's coming. <laughs> coming back there we go and you know i i will say one more last thing about that is you know clone wars i keep saying clone wars is my favorite tv series of all time i'm really excited for the way season two of bad batch is going to pick up on on clones and themes in clone wars and characters uh definitely more more of rex more of cody more of what happened to the clones and so clone Wars season nine why not yeah i'm excited for bad there we go there we go Okay, uh, I think that's a good time to wrap things up. Uh, yeah, one, one and a half hours, it's not bad. Uh, yeah, thank you for joining us, everyone. If you uh, liked what you saw, liked what you heard, disliked what you heard, fair enough, uh, comment below uh, or let us know on Twitter, Tell us why Instagram. we're wrong. Pardon? <laughs> Tell us why we're wrong. Tell us why we're wrong. Tell us why we're out to lunch. <laughs> Uh, take us mm-hmm. to lunch at Celebration sure why not uh, <laughs> <laughs> or your Comic Con or wherever um, yeah and let us know what you think who might show up in uh, who might make a cameo in, in uh, a show in 20 a live action show specifically in 2023 uh, yeah, follow us on Twitter or Instagram at Ion Cannon Pod um, yeah we'll do the click that up there Twitter Instagram at Ion Cannon Pod please do this uh give this video a like and a share and subscribe to the channel if you haven't done so already uh give us a give us a like give us a check out on the servers under facebook page um yeah and then uh yeah please do give us again give this video a like and a share uh thanks for joining us also on underworld facebook page on twitch on underworld twitter and uh iron cannon twitter uh joel where can they find you um first of all i just i just saw this in the comments uh I hate to, but it's like, you know, they have Disney Plus, but they haven't watched Clone Wars. Why should I watch it, even though it's a comic or a cartoon? I feel like I'm missing something. Uh, it's great TV. It's a lot of fun. Lots of deep lore and themes of Star Wars. Um, and there's just a lot of stuff that a lot of the newer stuff is building upon from the start with the Clone Wars. So, yeah. And, oh, wow, you saw Star Wars 77 on the big screen. Nice. Very nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, that that's why I would say my, my answer is because George Lucas brought all his storytelling powers from 1977 Star Wars, and he he put them in a in a smaller screen, unanimated, and because it it looks so beautiful to push the envelope uh, on, on what animation can do. Season seven, especially, looks as good mm-hmm. as live, a blockbuster live action film. I will say, uh, yeah, like Joel said, it goes it, it dives in deeper. Ahsoka is one of the all-time great, is the all-time great television character. Um, yeah, so give it a shot. Push through the first season. Give the first season a go. Push through towards the end. It really picks up. Um, and then season two, you're off and running. Just give it a shot. Uh, it's on Disney Plus. So yeah. go for it. Go for it. Yeah. Um, um, as for where I am, you can find me at JID2021. Again, JID2021 on Twitter. Or, of course, at the Ion Cannon Pod. Again, 
Ion Can Pod. Oh, and thank you for always following us and on shot first. <laughs> thank you, <McClunk>. Eric. <laughs> thank you, Eric okay. Rob. Yes, yes. Thank you so much for, for that for that engagement, for that love. Um, yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at NAUG485, on Instagram at MNAUG1138. Got some uh, get, get some Willow thoughts, some soccer thoughts, some Star Wars thoughts, all of the above. Uh, and of course, at Ion Cannon Pod on Instagram and Twitter. Um, and of course, we're on uh, Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Tonight's episode will go up on Spotify and Apple Podcasts shortly, and then uh, Tractor Beam on Fridays. Uh, yeah, I think that's uh, that's about it. Um, next week, we're taking a break. Uh, I got to pick my parents from the airport. Um, you know, we, we haven't taken our break yet. We've gone through the holiday season. And so we're just going to take a break and then come back in two weeks with a retrospective because we're coming up to a year and episode 50. And so it'll be good to just look back when we think about canon, think about podcasting, when we think about um, mm-hmm. different diving deep, the deep discussions on the lore of canon and the higher look of the galaxy far, far away. All right. Again, thank you so much, everyone, for in the chat and in uh, the comments. Um, sorry, we can't get to everything, but uh, we do appreciate it as always. Uh, Joel, for now, let's blow this thing and head home. <laughs>